next, ladies and gentlemen, please warmly welcome Mr. Wilden Go, Wholesale Director, Southeast Asia of Fidelity International, presenting on impact of disruption on active management costing. Well, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I trust you had a good time today at the conference. Um, what I'm going to talk about today is technology related. Similar to the previous speaker, and I always believe that it's always important to emphasize something twice. Like what my wife always say, if I got to be repeating myself for two times, you better take note what to do. So technology is in our everyday life. But more specifically, I'm going to talk about disruption. And disruption is really everywhere. Uh, we have heard the various speakers spoke about disruption happening across the various industries. Disruption is also happening in our household. I have three little disruptors running around my house, disrupting my happily married life. So we have to embrace disruption and understand where are the disruption and how it actually impacts our day-to-day -day life, especially in fidelity, the way we find the investment opportunities. So at the start, the first question that we have to ask ourselves is, why disruption matters? And before I go into that, I just want to put things into context, what we actually do in Fidelity, which many of you are familiar with. In our active management arms, what we basically do is to design and manage portfolios that are built by individual stocks and bonds to deliver the investment outcomes. And portfolio managers within Vitalities are actually backed by one of the largest buy-side research team, which comprises of about 180 analysts that covers 90% of the global bond and stocks. Now, why is this important? It's because it allows us to truly understand what we are investing in and to identify the winners so that we can long them and to identify the losers so that we can short them. So back to my very first question, why disruption matters? Basically, there are two reasons. First, disruption is innovation. And what is innovation? Innovation basically, it could be a person or a company doing things that are different from what they used to do. And we know that innovation basically drives growth. Now, let me give you a couple of examples. Back in the so-called uh, early days, in the lights of Africa, probably you will have a lot of customers who do not have access to lending or borrowing, so to speak. Now imagine a fintech company, a small business, that in certain parts of Africa actually provide their services to those clients and to lend them money so that they can in turn spend and then as a result, grow the economy. So disruption equates to innovation, equates to growth. Now the other example is probably going to bring you even way back where the innovation of transport systems, the likes of cars and railways. I'm sure there are, very, uh, there are a lot of many business owners here in this room. Imagine if you're running a small business in the past, you probably only are limited to the clients around your areas. But today with the innovation of transport, these businesses are able to deliver their products and services to people that are far away and therefore expand their profit pool. So the first reason that you've seen, disruption, 
will drive growth. Now, the second reason is disruption will create winners and losers. Now, probably 20 to 30 years ago, uh, you can literally imagine uh, the types of products to stay stagnant for the, for the next five to 10 years without much of a modification. But today, what we are seeing is that because of disruption, you are seeing new businesses emerging. And every time when new business emerge, they not only grow their profit pools, but they also steal profits from the existing uh, players. To give you two examples, in the early 90s in Europe, the introduction of what we call the budget airline has actually disrupted the entire aviation industries. The likes of EasyJet, Ryanair, because of their ability to procure cheaper aircraft, provide no-frill services, and as a result, reduce the overall cost of travels. And this has caused a lot of pressure for the incumbents, the likes of British Airways, Air France, because of that price differentiation. So that disruption, if you imagine, if you identify that trend, you probably will have long Ryanair and start shorting British Airlines. So why disruption matters? We have actually identified them. The next question that we have to ask ourselves is, what has been driving disruption? One word, technology. What you see here in front of you is the outcome of technology. Basically, the technology disruption has actually created these three outcomes in our day-to-day -day life. And what are the outcomes, if I were to emphasize? Firstly, you will see that the pace of change have changed dramatically. In other words, companies are innovating and changing at a quicker pace. Remember, I mentioned earlier on, if you, uh, as if you own a product 20, 30 years ago, you pretty much will stay stagnant for quite a while. But today, we are seeing product features or even new products being launched every single year. Now, a very classic example would be the iPhone, because just back in 2006, iPhone doesn't exist. And the last 12 years, we have actually seen almost 11 new models being launched. I don't have the latest one because I can't keep up with the change. So you can imagine, because of technology, it increases the pace of change, not only for product, even for business. Okay? I saw a study that actually states that back in 1920s, if you look at the listed company in S&P 500, the average life cycle of a company is about 67 years. Today, if you look at the life cycle of a company, meaning it says how long you exist before it goes bust, 15 years. So that's the pace of change we're talking about. The second thing that we're going to talk about here is demanding customers. Because of these new startups, because of these new startups that have creative and innovative way of assessing clients quicker, faster, with bespoke solution, we are all very, very spoiled for choice. I'm sure many of us in this room will not look for things or what we call a me-too product. We often will even ask our RM and ask them, do you have anything new and special just for me? 
Within Fidelity, we have a lot of conversation with our clients globally about retirement solution. And I can say that the clients are getting more and more demanding because they are no longer satisfied with an off-the-shelf solution. They want something that is so bespoke that can cater to their specific years of accumulation and decumulation and even the specific amounts that they want to contribute and even the specific returns that they are looking for. So technology has created demanding customers. Now, the last thing, which is probably the most painful thing to talk about, is transparency. And because of technology, today consumers have access to information, access to products, knowing about the pricings, knowing about the service level. Uh, I'm not sure how many of you have been through this. I sometimes walk into a retail shopping mall and I look at the same product and I will Google and tell them that, look, it is selling at $100 cheaper online. Can you match this price? I'm sure this is something that all of us are guilty of. But because of technology, it has actually resulted in all this outcome. So you probably be thinking, why is technology able to increase the impact of disruption? And one word is called Moss Law. So what is Moss Law? Basically, the definition of Moss Law is that we believe the speed of the processor or processing power of a computer will literally double every, every two years. So in other words, if today you have a computer, the computer will be faster and quicker every 24 months. Now, to give you an idea how quick and fast that is, uh, I'm sure everyone here drives, or most of us drives. So imagine if the last 10 years, the car innovate at a speed that's as quick as technology, basically today, you'll be driving a car that can travel as quick as 1,400 miles per hour with an efficiency of 450 gallons per mile. So that is how quick it is, but of course, I won't be driving that car because it's probably too dangerous for me. Now, so we understand the outcome. We understand that Moore's law drives and improves technology at a speed that is almost double every 24 months. The next thing we need to then identify is, how is that possible? It is possible because technology has enabled new businesses models with faster innovation. Now, what are the ingredients for this new business model with innovation? There are basically three key ingredients. The first is mobile computing is ubiquitous. This is a very big word that I only learned last week. Um, basically, ubiquitous means it is everywhere. Back to the iPhone scenario, I'm sure every one of us in our pocket has an iPhone. Okay. In the past, if you want to have access to internet, you have to go back to your old, big, chunky personal computer. Today, we are literally carrying a computer in our pockets. And because of that, it changes the way that we consume information, it changes the way that we consume products and services. Um, earlier this morning, uh, we actually shared a video with some of the colleagues uh, of BBL stating one of my colleagues in China literally do not have to use her cash and credit card and her entire day revolves around her computer. So because of this, we are talking about economy of scale. The next thing is cloud computing is unlimited. 
So what's cloud computing? I think Stephen has actually gave you a very good insights of what cloud computing means. But you can also look at it as a supercomputer. So supercomputer, if in the past, who have access to supercomputer? You and me? No. Large corporation with millions and millions of dollars, they are able to build the infrastructure, build a supercomputer for access. But today, with the invention of cloud computing, all of us have access to a supercomputer. So this is really like the evolution of electricity. So in the past, you can not have access to electricity. But today, electricity is available with a click of switch. So in other words, you have access to computers in your pockets, and this is a supercomputer. Now, the third thing that we want to say has contributed to the success of this new business model is AI. Okay? Uh, much has been spoken about AI, but what I would like to caveat is that AI is still at the very, very infancy stage. Okay? You have probably heard from the previous speaker, there are a lot of hypes, but they are also reality. And to give you some context of what is hype and what is reality, uh, in Fidelity, we recently commissioned a survey. Uh, and the survey result actually states that, um, you know every company CEO, they would do conference calls to say how good their company is. So basically, the survey results told us that if during the conference call, if the CEO mentioned the word AI, without any association of how they are going to implement or what kind of product is AI related, just purely on the word AI, the share price will go up. So I'm sure all of us are guilty, right? Well, this is a great AI product. Let's buy it. I'm sure you'll make money. So there's a lot of hype and reality that we need to distinguish. So if you have a processor that will double every 24 months, plus the fact of a supercomputer in your pocket that will always constantly learn because of AI, what you basically be getting are these businesses that all of us are familiar with. Spotify, Uber, Amazon, Airbnb, Netflix, common names, okay? And often you even hear description of how Uber and Airbnb has been described. They are the world largest taxi fleets or world largest hotel chain, but without physically owning a single one of them. And that's possible because of technology. Now, so, Let's look at how disruption has affected the stock market. What I've listed out here is based on the market capitalization of the stocks. And I listed the top 10 in, back in 2008. So literally, you can see that the red color highlighted are basically technology companies, and the blue one are non-tech companies. So 10 years ago, um, our era, Probably we are living in an era whereby the energy companies are actually dominating in terms of market cap. Let's fast forward five years later. Now, we have three red, highlighted in red, which means it says that there are three technology companies that emerged and grew. Now, the question I got to ask all of you in this room is, if I were to show you the current state, can any one of you make a guess how many technology companies will be in the top 10 based on market capitalization? Six, seven, 
Any higher? This is like beating eight. Any, any more higher? <laughs> the answer is seven. Okay? So you can see, just within a very short span of 10 years, we have seen the technology companies emerge stronger and bigger. And that's all because of the technology that is driving innovation that is the key enabler to the success of the business. Now, before we look forward, maybe it's good that we should take a step back and look at what industry has already been disrupted. And I'll give you some numbers to give you some context of the impact of disruption. All right? So, music. Okay. This is a very sensitive question, and I'm not going to be very, very direct. If you were to be investing in music physical store. So anything that got to do with physical store, that means that selling of CDs, uh, you have a physical presence, you literally have seen a 70% decline in terms of sales revenue over the last five years. Seven, zero, okay? Uh, I'm sure all of you are not investing in music stores because if not, you will not be sitting in this room. You probably have lost all your money. Second thing, print industries, okay? When we look at print industry, one of their main source of revenue comes from advertising. And just based on print advertisement, we have also seen a 50% decline over the last 10 years. Although I say that print is a, pre, is a, is a history, uh, but I still believe that all of us should encourage our children to read newspaper rather than the iPad, just in case they're playing games and not reading. Next, retail. Okay. Much has been talked about the likes of Amazon. But today, if I were to aggregate the market cap of all the retail stores globally and add them up together, they are only 50% of the market cap of Google. So they give you an idea how small the retail business is and how fast the technology has been growing. Now, the last example, which I'm sure many of us can relate, are taxi the likes of Uber, the likes of Grab in Thailand, has actually taken a lot of market shares. So in the States, in order to drive a taxi, you need to have a medallion, okay? Just to give you some context, the value of the medallion today is 50% less of what it was worth more than five years ago. So these are all the past and history, the industry that has been disrupted by technology. But I think more of us are more interested to see What's ahead? And there are four areas that probably I'd like to emphasize and give you an idea of how we in Fidelity thinks about disruption and how we find the opportunities. I'm not going to give you stock examples because uh, if you want to invest in them, you should buy into a fund uh, and you know which fund to go to. So talking about the first example of FinTech, what I'm going to show you here on your left are basically the value chain of the entire financial services. I.e. to say where and how you can make money. You can make money through the likes of payment, internet bankings, or FX transfer. Now, what I'm going to show you on the right are basically the fintech disruptors that have emerged and trying to steal the profits from the current incumbents. And I'll give you an example. These are just a snapshot. A lot of them. 
I uh, hope you don't take photos. I'm not trying to say that you should start investing to them because people get the hype again, right? Wow, these are the disruptors. Let me take a photo. I go back and I'll invest all my money into every one of them. No, okay? Because like I say, in Fidelity, we do and spend a lot of time trying to differentiate what is hype and what is reality. Now, to give you an idea of how we go about filtering through this entire list of companies, we have a thought process in mind. And this is a very high-level thought process to give you a flavor of how we find and pick the winners. So what we do is basically we kind of, kind of aggregate them and break them down by countries. Okay? We look at in each country and we ask ourselves a list of questions. One, are we seeing supportive regulators? Are the regulators trying to protect the existing player or they are trying to increase competition? Number two, are there weak incumbents? Are the existing players lazy or they are actually spending a lot of effort and money trying to innovate themselves? Third, underserved customers. Do we see a lot of product gaps that's happening right now in the market that we can identify and capture? Fourth, is there a strong use of digital in the country? And last, is it scalable? Okay, is it fast to actually scale up to make more money? So the conclusion, or what we call the potential outcome of that, is that we believe fintech is an area whereby we can see a significant profit growth of at least 5 to 8% over the next five years on an annual basis. And secondly, we believe that Asia will probably have more disruption than the likes of Europe and US. Let me give you an example, just on data privacy alone. The lawsuit that Facebook is facing right now, based due to data privacy, you probably will not get that in China. Uh, I was told that in China, my friend in China says, take all the information that you want. I don't really care. I just want to have your service. Because why? Because of this regulation or the lack of regulation, it has actually enabled all this innovation to collect your data quicker, these technology companies to collect your data quicker, to make process, and to make it even more efficient. So that's why we feel that there are more opportunity in the likes of Asia rather than Europe and US. The incumbent can win, we believe strongly. Not only can you spend money to upgrade yourself, but you can also identify the small emerging players and acquire them before they get too big. The last, the last point, where are the opportunities? We believe that payment and blockchain will probably be the areas of focus, but for investors who probably are not too sure of what to invest in, we always encourage them to look for tech enablers. Why is tech enablers? If today we are looking at two companies that provide the end service to the clients, both are innovative companies, but if you have to choose between A to B, it's often a very binary decision. But what if you can take a step back and instead ask yourself, which company is producing those technology to support this innovative business? Remember the chart that Stephen has used? There are some enablers. Okay, you can invest in that. Or you can even take one step backwards to invest in the components that's making all those technology possible. Because regardless of who is the winner and loser, you will know that the components and the technology will be well used and well supported. So that's how we go about investing, and we believe that will create a better risk-adjusted return. The second example, which I'm probably not going to spend too much time, similar to what Stephen has mentioned, is about the internet and hardware. 
What I've shown you here is this room with a lot of people. Um, these are my colleagues based in London. Um, in terms of looking at technology space, we probably have about 30 analysts globally just purely looking at this space. Okay, now, why am I showing it here? It's because we spend all our time in Fidelity speaking to companies, understanding their pipelines, understanding the threats, profitability, and even the product cycle. All things are valuable because out of the 16,000 meetings that we do every single year, this allows us to have a very complete picture of the entire value chain of technology. And what we do is we would then overlay with the level of innovation. And we are totally agreeable with the previous speaker that I think the first area of opportunity will start from the so-called hardware. If you recall what Kun Pirapon and Compete has mentioned earlier today, the hardware era followed by the platform era. So hardware era is the first place because companies have to build their infrastructures and they have to hire a lot of data scientists. Uh, I always urge my friends who have children in university, don't join the finance industry. Make sure that they're all data scientists because they're paid very, very, very well. Jing Jing, well, <laughs> that's a new word that I learned. Now, but however, infrastructures often will face what we call the inflation pressure, where pricing gets a little bit high, but however, when it starts to get, when AI becomes more and more retailized and commercialized, we can then move on to the platforms. The likes of the platforms are like your Facebooks, your series, where you can actually uh, commercialize and get gains out of it. So in other words, there are still a lot of hype of AI, but AI is real, AI is here to stay, and you only get better and better because of Moore's Law, and this is how we go about thinking of investing in this space, by infrastructure followed by the software. The third example that I'd like to show and share is about automobile. Okay? Automobile industry, there's a lot of disruption potential. Well, there's a quote by Mary Barra saying that the auto industry will change more in the next five to 10 years than it was in the last 50 years. Okay, and why is that so? Technology. And it has actually made uh, life harder for analysts trying to pick the right stocks because as analysts in the past, when you look at this industry, all you need to do is to make sure that you predict the right economic cycle, the right product cycle, you pretty much can make money from the stocks that you pick. For example, if BMW is going to come out with the new 5 Series, you will know that the stock price will go up. But today is different because we also need to understand the innovation cycle. And for that, there are four things that we actually look and we believe the future of automotive would be. And that's one, it will be connected, meaning it says that everything will be connected via the Internet of Things, and probably the way you drive will also be connected to the insurance company. So make sure you don't drive too fast. Number two, autonomous, basically self-driving cars, as where it should be covered. Shared services. Uh, we believe that in the future, people will not own car, but instead they will actually share and rent car. And the last one, probably I'll spend a little bit more time to talk on, is about electrifying. Okay. So what is electrifying? Electrifying is basically what we call cars being ran uh, electricity. Now, on the left, there's some facts or fun facts for you to take note. Did you know that the number of electric cars back in 1890 is more or double than the number of cars that's running on gasoline? And do you also know that back in those days, there is also an electric car company called Model 3? 
Now you wonder where Tesla got the idea from. Uh, we all know all these companies does not exist anymore because why? Due to the cost of storage and also due to the lack of scalability back then, gasoline car actually has overtaken the likes of electric cars in those era. Now, since then, there have been many, many occasions of what we call hype about electric cars. In the 1960s, we have heard the clean gas or clean air uh, regulation being imposed. Having clean air means that you should not have cars that is run on gasoline, you should look into electricity. Was that reality or hype? Hype. 1970s, people are looking for alternative because the oil price was too expensive. Did it take place? Hype or reality? Hype. But however, today, in the year 2000, we believe that this is no longer a hype. And the reason for that is, if I use a case study, let's say in Hong Kong, if you were to go to Hong Kong, every second car you see on the road, they're probably Tesla car. Why? Because technology has enabled the likes of Tesla to be made available. You have supportive regulators who help to subsidize the cost of having these electric cars. Now, more importantly, the third thing is, there is actual client demands. Okay? And because of that, we believe that this is no longer a hype. But however, I still need to caveat, don't get too bullish and excited about the EV space. Because while Tesla is made available to most clients, but these are high net worth clients like you. We are not talking about the mass retail customers because they still do not have access to those cars at a more efficient and lower cost price. So this is the area that we spend a lot of time understanding. Same concept, if we cannot decide between Tesla and BMW, what we can do is we will then find and identify the companies that is building the battery. And if we still cannot identify the companies that is building the battery to invest in, we will then go down the value chain to invest into the manufacturer of the components to this battery. And that's how we think about investing. My last example for today uh, is about healthcare. Much has been talked about earlier on about healthcare, but I'd just like to bring your attention that healthcare is really an area of revolution that's enabled by technology. You've seen some of the pictures uh, stated here. Uh, we have the likes of robots doing surgery for you. Uh, people believe that having a robot to operate you will probably be safer than human beings. All this is not made possible without technology. Um, Data, 30% of the data in the world is healthcare data. I was actually reading an article saying that the hackers love to get data of the healthcare rather than to get your credit card data because you can change your credit card anytime, but you can't change your healthcare data. And having the right healthcare data would then enable the doctors to better prescribe and diagnose your illness with the right medication. Now, the last example I'd like to share with you is also this very interesting company called Grail. Uh, Grail, um, as the name is trying to do, a holy grail, um, is backed by the Gates Foundation. This is a biotech company that is focusing on DNA sequencing. Basically, what it aims to do is that before you get cancer, it will tell you that you will get cancer way in advance. Imagine. These DNA sequences will tell you that in five years' time, you're going to get cancer. There are a lot of things that you can do in order to prevent it, and that will really disrupt and change the whole healthcare sector. In summary, 
What we like to urge is that if you are focusing on just buying the largest company in the world today, that is probably a very, very dangerous strategy because the largest company today are under constant attacks by all these aggressive startups that is trying to take your market shares and trying to disrupt your businesses. And in order to fend off all these so-called disruptors, the only way forward is to innovate. So that's why we believe strongly that disruption is healthy, disruption is good because it innovates and creates business opportunity to drive growth. Second thing, innovation cycle is more important than business cycle. I mentioned it's not about predicting what the next product cycle is, but also where the innovation cycle lies in order to find the right company to invest. The third, distinguish hype versus reality. And this is what we need to educate and this is what we need to do. Because very often, because of media, because of what we hear and what we see, and more importantly, what my friend says, we tend to believe. But there are a lot more for you to understand the true reality versus just hype. The fourth earlier point, the incumbents, which are the existing players, they are under pressure a lot. And in fact, we believe that currently, if you look at all these big organizations, there's only one way and that's down. And that's because of the disruption that we mentioned. The last point to remember and take away is that enablers often win regardless. Using the example of if you can't decide between Tesla and BMW, buy the battery component. If you cannot decide which battery component, buy the component that builds the battery. So with that, I thank you all for your time and attention, and I look forward to speaking to you at the event later. Thank you.